Glad to have you here tonight. We're going to be looking in the little prophecy out of the book of Micah. We're going to be going through a study in the book of Micah, and we're starting off tonight. And so while you're opening up there, uh, whether you're here in the building or live stream, uh, be sure to turn over to Micah chapter 1. That's one of those small mitre prophets uh, that you normally don't read. You probably won't be able to find it. But while you're turning there, I'll give you a time. Uh, we have a flyer in reference to 40 days of fasting and prayer. And uh, the first uh, 40 days that we're going to fast and pray start, starts on September the 25th. And uh, so we want to be able to take 40 days to pray up to the uh, day of the election. Uh, we need God to intervene and intercede on our behalf. And so we want to pursue the Lord in prayer. And then uh, also, starting on October the 7th, we're going to be doing 40 days of fasting and prayer going up to the anniversary of our church. Our church will be celebrating 40 years uh, being here in Tom's River. That's exciting to see the, all these years, how many people have been saved, been baptized, and are serving the Lord. And so we want to rejoice in that, but we want God to uh, answer our prayer. And we want to be able, we're going to be having for the anniversary on Saturday, the 14th of November, we'll be having an ordination council in the morning. We have three uh, young men that need to be ordained in the gospel ministry. Uh, Saturday night, we're going to be having uh, uh, dinner here at the church, and also we have special music. The Morels are coming. They're going to be doing special mu music uh, s Saturday evening at our uh, dinner. Uh, Sunday morning, they'll be singing also. Dr. Shoemaker will be preaching. Uh, Sunday evening, we're going to be doing a laying on of hands, uh, ordaining uh, these young men that passed the council, that is, uh, uh, ordaining them in the evening service. And then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday that week, we'll be having revival services. And so uh, a lot going on in October and November. Uh, we want you to be a part of that. In October also, we have a flyer about our couples retreat and Abiding Love Couples Retreat. So be sure to get signed up for that. Uh, we have uh, Derek and Katie Settles coming, and uh, Derek's going to be uh, speaking to uh, six times, and uh, one time just to the men while Katie is speaking to the ladies. And so we've got a lot of things going on. <coughs> we want you to be a part of all those things. Uh, there are opportunities for you to fellowship together. It's opportunities for you to be instructed in the Word of God. And it's a blessing to be able to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, by now you ought to be the Micah. Amen. Micah chapter 1. And uh, uh, what I'm going to do is just uh, read through the chapter as we study it and, and uh, expound some thoughts in each verse. Uh, but Micah chapter 1 and verse 1 says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah uh, the Morshite in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, uh, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. And so we see the call of God, the word of God being revealed to Micah. And that's what we're going to be going through and studying and seeing how that applies to us. Uh, by cross-referencing, you can see in your notes there, by cross-referencing verse 1, uh, we see that Micah prophesied at the same time as Isaiah, Hosea, and Amos. 
And uh, you can look at Isaiah 1, 1, and Hosea chapter 1 and verse 1, Amos 1, 1. You see there, all three of these men are identifying the time in which they're prophesying at the same time of the uh, kings that were reigning in Jerusalem and in Judah. And so uh, Micah is a contemporary of uh, uh, Isaiah and also Hosea and Amos. Uh, Jotham, Jotham, I'm sorry, and Hezekiah were good kings who helped the nation of Israel. However, uh, Ahaz was a wicked king uh, who led the nation into idolatry. And uh, certainly Micah is going to be addressing those issues of the condition of Israel, the culture in which he had to deal with, and uh, times that are going on. So we see that Micah would be able to enjoy the nation uh, in good times and also bad times. And, uh, and we certainly as a people, as a, uh, believers in Christ, uh, can look at our nation and see there's good times that we can enjoy sharing the faith, our faith in Christ. Uh, there's bad times and difficult times where we need to be faithful to sharing our faith in Christ. And so Micah helps us to be able to see that and experience that and challenges us to do so. Um, uh, where am I at here? Oh, yes, Micah is a thought of, about Micah as far as his presentation there. You're filling for number five on your introductory notes. Micah is known by many as a book of condemnation. And uh, it's, it's amazing as we go through now how strongly Micah will be warning about the judgment and the wrath of God coming. And so it can be considered as a book of condemnation. Be not deceived, God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And so we cannot sow to the flesh, we cannot ignore God, we cannot reject uh, the grace of God and not expect some type of judgment or chastisement of God falling upon us. And certainly Israel and Judah had come to a point where they felt as though they could uh, live their life and contrary to the commands of God, and as a result of it, they were going to face the condemnation of God. But also, if you look a little closer to the book of Micah, uh, you'll see that it reveals uh, that it is a book of reconciliation. And I'm thankful that God is a holy God and God is a just God. And I'm thankful that he is the God who uh, exercises his wrath and judgment on wickedness but I'm thankful that he's a gracious God, and I'm thankful that there's reconciliation. You know, Jesus Christ died on the cross because he took the wrath of God on himself, the, our punishment of our, our sins upon himself, so that we might be able to be reconciled unto our creator. And so what a blessing it is to be able to uh, know that God is a God not just of judgment and wrath, but he is a uh, reconciler of the sinner to himself. I like what Chuck Swindoll said in reference to the book of Micah. He said, much of Micah's book revolves around two significant predictions. One of the judgment on Israel and Judah, Micah chapter 1 through chapter 3, and the other of the restoration of God's people in the millennial kingdom in chapters 4 and chapters 5 of Micah. And so you see that, that uh, 
line, I guess you could say, or that thought process or that theme uh, through that statement that Micah is a book that reveals the condemnation of God, but it also reveals the restoration or reconciliation of God. Uh, Micah pro uh, reproaches unjust leaders. He defends the rights of the poor against the rich and powerful while looking forward to a world at peace centered on Zion under the leadership of a new Davidic monarch. And so uh, uh, Micah is really viewing things uh, in reference to the leaders of Israel were unjust. They were corrupt and they were wicked. However, Micah's looking beyond what they were in the present and knowing that God has a means of bringing peace into this world uh, through his millennial kingdom. And so he was not just looking at the here and now, but he was looking down the road, if you, if you will. Sometimes we as Christians have a tendency uh, to look at all the difficulties that's going on right now and fall into the pits of despair. When God is, listen, he has not lost his ability to control things, and he is certainly still on the throne, and he still has a promise to fulfill to us, and so we can look down the road. You see what's going on politically in America right now. I mean, it's just every day, it's just it's something else, and uh, it, it, it gets discouraging just taking and looking at that constantly. But wait a minute, God has more to show us and more to fulfill in us than just those things. The key verse of Micah is found in chapter 7 in uh, verse 18. Uh, it says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. And so this, the whole concept, who is like our God? And uh, who, who is able to do what our God does? And, and so the conclusion of uh, the book of Micah as he comes to the last chapter is he just comes to the conclusion there's nobody like our God. And there is nobody like our God. There is no one that can uh, show judgment and justice and wrath and at the same time show grace and mercy to deliver our souls. There's no God like our God. There are basically three messages found in the book of Micah. In Micah chapter 1 and verse 2, we see it's a message to all people. It says, hear all ye people. So God is speaking through Micah. He has a message to deliver. And the beginning of his message is a message that goes to all people. And uh, this means of God's grace and God's love needs to be delivered to all people. God is no respecter of persons, and so he's not willing that any should perish. And so that means we have a message to deliver to everyone that we come in contact with. So it's a message to all people. In chapter 3 of Micah, in verse 1, it's a message to the heads or the leaders of Jacob. Chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, And I said, Here I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and the princes of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know judgment? And so he had specifically 
a message not just to everyone, uh, every individual, but he had a message specifically to the leaders. And uh, because uh, they were leading the people of God down a path of rebellion and rejection of their God that would cause them to fall underneath the hand of the judgment of God Almighty. So he has a message to all people. He has a message to the leaders of Israel. And then in Micah chapter 6 and verse 1, he has a message that calls for personal repentance. Chapter 6 and one, verse 1 says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith, Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. It's a cry of repentance. Uh, you need to change. You need to turn from your wicked ways and uh, respond to the forgiveness and the cleansing of God. It is interesting that the name Micah means who is like Jehovah. And so the name Micah, is the, his own name declares the, the thrust or the focus of the message that he has, that he's prophesying to uh, Israel and to the world. So let's look at this. We'll go through chapter 1 and just uh, give you some highlights here. Uh, chapter 1 and verse 1 through 4, we see the seriousness of his message. Uh, sometimes I think people don't think it's uh, serious. They go to church and they're not thinking about the message as being something that's serious. It's just like, well, I hope the Lord says, uh, I mean, I hope the preacher says something good today. I hope he makes me feel good or whatever. But the, the, the reality is the message that we have is a serious message. This thing of being a Christian is not a game. It's life and death. It's, it's a, either eternal blessings or it's eternal loss. And so it's a serious message. And uh, notice in verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah. And so it's a serious message because it's a, it is inspired. The word of the Lord that came to Micah. Uh, we must not just uh, lightheartedly read over that verse and ignore the reality of the inspiration of God. God is giving a message to Micah to deliver to the people. And uh, he identifies the inspiration of the message in reference to the days in which he lived. Because it was in the days of Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, uh, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. And so he identifies the times he identifies the culture. He identifies what the message is revolving around the issues that need to be addressed. And so it's a very serious message because it is a message that is inspired. And every time you open up the Bible, you're reading a message that's inspired of God, that's breathed out from God. And so we have no justification for changing the Word of God or manipulating the Word of God because it is inspired completely by God. And so we have to give the message that God has revealed. And Micah is going to be faithful to revealing that message because he received it from the Lord. So it's an inspired message. Notice in verse 2, in the beginning of the verse, it's, it is a comprehensive message. In verse 2 it says, Hear all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, and let the Lord be witness against you, for the Lord 
uh, the Lord from his holy temple. So the first part of that verse, hear all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is. It's comprehensive. It includes everyone. It includes every situation. Uh, everybody's all worried about being inclusive today. Everybody's worried about being accepted today. Well, understand this. God has a comprehensive message that does not, the message doesn't change because it goes from one person to another person or one nation or another nation or one race to another race. It's a comprehensive message that includes everyone. And so many times we think, well, it just doesn't matter. Well, that, does, that part of the Bible just doesn't apply to me. Oh, yes, it does. It is a very serious business when you deal with the message that we receive from God. So it's inspired. It's comprehensive. But it's also oh, um, observed. Because in verse 2 it says, uh, Let the Lord God be witness against you. For the Lord from his holy temple. And so I wrote down there, you can see it in your notes, uh, John chapter 5. Uh, the witnesses of the word of God, witness about who Christ is. And uh, uh, it was witnessed by John the Baptist. In John chapter 5 and verse 31, I bear witness of myself and my witness is not true. There is another that beareth witness of me. And I know that, that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. And so Micah declares that, wait a minute, the, the message that God has given me is comprehensive because it has been observed, and we can see that it was observed by John the Baptist. He bared witness of the truth. But not only John the Baptist, but the Son of God. In verse 35, it says, uh, He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in that light. But I have a greater witness than that of John, for the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And so the seriousness of the message that God has given is there's not just a witness of the Father in heaven, but there's a witness of John the Baptist of the truth that was revealed and the witness of the Son of God in that he did the work of his Father in heaven and that bears witness of the fact that he was, in fact, the Son of God. And then verse 39 of John chapter 5 is the Scriptures itself bears witness to that. It says, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And so uh, there is the observed word of God, observed testimony of the message that God has given uh, that is, makes it a serious message. If God would put such a focus and emphasis on what was revealed, then every man woman, boy, and girl needs to realize that this is a very serious message that we must receive. I see that also in verse 3 and 4, that it's an imperative message. Notice in verse 3, he says, For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place, and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft, as wax before the fire, 
and has the waters that are poured down a steep place. And so it's an imperative message, first of all, because of the coming of God. In verse 3, the Lord cometh forth out of his place. And, uh, you know, it's Micah chapter 5, that in verse 2, that prophesies concerning the birth of the Messiah. It says, But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands in Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth, uh, that is, to be ruler in, in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. And so Micah chapter 1 is right away showing the seriousness of them listening to the message that he has for them because God had promised to send the Messiah in the world. God had promised that he would come to his people Israel. And Micah is saying this, you need to get ready because of the fact that God, the Lord, is going to come forth out of his place. Now we preach and we prophesy about the coming of Jesus Christ. We believe that the rapture is going to take place very soon. You can't help but see what is going on in the world and say, look at all the prophecy that is being fulfilled. How long is God going to wait before he sends his son to receive up his church in the glory? I don't know how long it's going to be, but I know this, the message is serious because he's coming soon. And Micah is trying to get across to the children of Israel you need to get serious about this thing of what God is saying to you because uh, his Messiah is coming. He's coming down. But so not only is it imperative because of the coming of God, but because of the wrath of God. In verse 4, it says, The mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire. You know what wax does before the fire? It melts. And uh, he says, as the waters that are poured down a steep place, you pour water on a steep place, it runs down very quickly. He's just saying this, this is an important, serious message because of the fact not only is God coming, but when he comes, uh, the wrath of God's going to be poured out on this earth. Matter of fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that the whole world groaneth travailing, waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. You look at the weather patterns that are going on. You do understand the weather is not Trump's fault. You know, Everybody thinks that, that he's the one who's created climate change and all this, that, and the other. I'm going to tell you who's in control of the nature, and that's God Almighty. And God is shaking this church, uh, the church up. I believe he's shaking the church up. But I believe he's shaking this world up. And that this world is twisting and turning and in turmoil because God has a serious message that nobody wants to pay attention to. That nobody wants to listen to. Uh, not even believers in the church do they want to get serious about the message that God has. And the reality is uh, the wrath of God is about ready to be poured out on this earth. And so it's a serious message. Notice in verse 5 through 9. We see the severity of his message. Notice in verse 5 it says, For the transgression of Jacob is all this, and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? And so notice right away the severity of the message is that he identifies the transgressions. 
for the transgression of Jacob is all this. And then he starts describing what the problem was, what the transgression was of Jacob. Now, over in 1 Kings chapter 16, in 1 Kings chapter 16, we read that the reign of Omri and Ahab in Samaria uh, is the judge, their reign, the way they reigned, uh, is um, identified here as the source of the transgression of Jacob. And in 1 Kings chapter 16, we really need to read this verse in verse 25 so that we might understand the judgment or the uh, consequence of the transgression that was taking place was the, the identifying the transgression was in reference to the reign of corrupted kings. In 1 Kings chapter 16 and verse 25, it says, But Amri uh, wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. How would you like to have that as your epitaph? How would you like to have that as your testimony? Uh, you're, not only was wick, you're not only wicked, but you were more wicked than anybody before you. It says, For he walked in all the way of Jer Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and in his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin, to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger with their vanities. Now the rest of the acts of Amri, uh, which he did, and his, and his might that he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And so it says, and so Amri slept, with his fathers and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son reigned in his stead. So here we have the two. We have father and son reigning. And it says, In the thirtieth year and eighth year of Asa king of Judah began Ahab the son of Amri to reign over Israel, and Ahab the son of Amri reigned over Israel in Samaria 20 and two years, and Ahab, the son of Amri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. You say, well, what is Micah prophesying about? What is he talking about when he says the transgressions of Jacob? He's talking about kings like Amri and his son Ahab, were so wicked that they outdid every king before them in leading the children of Israel in the transgression. So the transgression that's identified, first of all, is just the reign of the corrupt kings. Number two in your notes there is the heathen practices applied in Jerusalem. So we can turn over to 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17, and read in reference to the heathen practices uh, that were applied in Jerusalem. 2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 14. It says, Notwithstanding, they would not hear, but harden, harden their necks, like to the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenants that he made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them 
that they should not do like them. And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God and made them molten images, even two calves, and made a grove and worshipped all the host of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire and used divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them out of his sight, and there was none left but the tribe of Judah only. Uh, the, you say, well, wait a minute. What's Micah talking about when he says the transgression of Jacob? He is talking about the reign of wicked kings like Amri and Ahab, and he's talking about Israel adapting to and accepting and entering in to the heathen worship that was practiced around them, passing their children through the fire, accepting idolatry, bowing down and worshiping Baal, uh, living a, a life that is a reproach before God, not discerning his commandments or accepting his word into their life. They lived completely as the culture in which they were surrounded by. Well, that's exactly what's going on in, in, in the world today. It seems like people that are saved want to be able to embrace the things of the world more and more. We want to listen. A lot of this stuff I see, I see on the internet, and a lot of things I see that's going on in supposedly worshiping Jesus Christ is nothing more than hedonism. It is nothing more than divination. It is nothing more than idolatry. And it's been acceptable in churches and we wonder why our churches are going downhill. It's because of the fact we have transgressed against our God. And so I see the severity of the message. We need to identify the transgression. But nobody wants to identify the transgressions. In verse 6 and 7 of our chapter, we see he describes the destruction if there is a transgression, there will be destruction afterwards. In chapter 1 of Micah, in verse 6, notice he says, Therefore I will make Samaria as a heap of the field, and as the plantings of a vineyard, I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. And so he describes the destruction that's going to come upon the land. You know, when God brings his judgment, his judgment falls on the land. You know, if God brings floods, you can't, you can't uh, raise a crop on the land. Uh, if God sends hail, your crops that you have are destroyed. Uh, God brings his wrath and he brings his judgment on the land. And we look at the world that we're living in and we see God's judgment coming on the earth. And you see it coming on the land. Uh, in verse 7, he says, and all the graven images thereof shall be beaten to pieces, and all the hires thereof shall be burned with the fire, and all the idols thereof shall will I lay desolate, for she gathereth to uh, uh, I'm sorry, gathereth it of the hire of that harlot, and they shall return to the hire of a harlot. So not only does the destruction come upon the land but the destruction will come upon the idols. The destruction on idols it represents the destruction of false worship. And uh, you cannot, listen, you cannot 
run away from God and defile his commandments and his statutes in your life and not experience the wrath and the judgment of God coming upon you. So the, de the destruction comes on the land, it comes on the idols, and then it comes upon the prostitutes. Because it says here, the hire of a harlot. And so the judgment of God that brings destruction because of the fact that we live our life in an unfaithful state. When the people of God are unfaithful to the God, they're playing the harlot. And God brings his wrath and God will bring his judgment and destruction. So he identifies the severity of the message is he identifies the transgressions. He describes the destruction. And then in verse 8 and 9, he demonstrates the affliction. Notice in verse 8, he says, Therefore I will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the dragons and mourning as the owls. And so he demonstrates the affliction. Notice that it's by mourning personally. He says, I will wail and howl. Um, there, there has to be a cry uh, across this nation by believers crying and wailing and howling unto the Lord personally that we need God to do something in our life. We need revival in our personal life. We need revival in our land. Things can't continue the way they are. I'm telling you right now, this whole thing with, the, with this uh, political stuff that's going on with the Supreme Court appointments and with the protests and the rioting and the looting, and I'm telling you right now, it cannot continue. We as a nation cannot continue. And we certainly as a believers are not going to be able to continue uh, if, and if God just continues to take his hand of blessing off of us. Mourning. When was the last time we mourned and wept and wailed? You know, uh, there's been times in my life where I've wailed and cried out to God. And uh, I'm really, as I was going over this message and putting these things together and, and uh, praying about it, I got convicted. I need more mourning in my life. Uh, you know, people say, well, you know, I want things to be positive. Well, I want things to be positive, too. But I'm going to tell you right now, it's not so positive. And we need to be crying out to God in mourning personally because God's got to do something in our lives. But then not only by mourning personally, but by mourning corporately. In verse 9, he says, for her wound is incurable. For it is come unto Judah, he is come unto the gate of my people, even to Jerusalem. And so the mourning that goes on corporately, it's not just as individuals, but as the church. I want to do these 40 days of fasting for the election. I want to do these 40 days of fasting and praying for the anniversary of our church. And it's because of the fact that personally we need to pursue God and cry out to our God, but we corporately as a church need to be crying out to the Lord. So we see the severity of his message. We see the seriousness of his message. But then we see the last thing here in verse 10 through 16. We see the sureness of his message. Notice in verse 10, Declare ye it not at Gath, weep ye not at all, in the house of Ephra, 
roll thyself in the dust. Very interesting thoughts here, the shortness of his message. First of all, in verse 10, reproach in the eyes of the enemy. And what I mean by that, a reproach, he's saying this, uh, don't declare in Gath, uh, you'll be a reproach in the front of the enemy. Uh, the interesting thing is, is the name Gath. Gath means a wine press. You know, when you make wine, you're going to make juice, you have a press and you squeeze the juice or the fruit until all the juice comes out of it, the wine press. Uh, Gath means a wine press. So he says, describe ye not at Gath, declare not, I'm sorry, uh, at Gath. In other words, he's saying, the things that I've revealed to you uh, at Gath is the wine press. That's where the pressure is. And uh, uh, the people are your reproach in the eyes of the enemy. And then he says here in uh, verse 10, in the house of Ephra, roll thyself in the dust. And Ephra means house of dust. And so he literally, what he's saying is this, realize this, you're reproaching the eyes of the enemy because you're being ground up in the dust. Where where are the prayer warriors that can pray down the power of God to shake the mountains? Where are the prayer warriors where we can pray down the power of God to bring conviction on people and change people? Uh, you know, it is through the power of prayer that we have the ability to fight against the enemy. We release the captain of the host, and he fights the battle for us. But we need to be able to shake the, the gates of heaven to a point where the power of God is released so that we're not just in front of the enemy being ground up in the dust. So the reproach in the eyes of the enemy. Notice in verse 11. He's telling them you're a reproach in the eyes of God. Pass ye away, thou inhabitant of uh, Sefer, having thy shame naked. Uh, the inhabitants of Zanan came not forth in the morning of Bethezel. Uh, he shall receive of you his standing. Reproach in the eyes of God. Uh, the words uh, here, the name Sapphire, means fair, means fair. The word Zanan means pointed. In other words, there's a direction, there's a, a, a point that is being accomplished. And Bethazel means house of sorrowing. And so... Thinking of the reproach that we, they are in the eyes of God, literally, he's basically saying this, go fair city into foul dishonor and mourning. Uh, when, we are, when we're reproaching the eyes of God, that which is pleasant, that which is enjoyable is lost. And we go in the direction of sorrow and mourning. And so... A reproach, he's saying, you're reproaching the eyes of God. Then in verse 12 and 13, he says, you're a reproach in the eyes of yourself. Notice in uh, verse 12, he says, for the inhabitants of Maroth waiteth, I'm sorry, the, the inhabitants of Maroth waited carefully for good. 
But evil came down from the Lord unto the gate of Jerusalem. O thou inhabitant of Lachish, bind the chariot to the swift beast. She is the beginning of the sin to the daughter of Zion, for the transgression of Israel were found in thee. So he's confronting them with the fact that they need to mourn the reproach, not only in the eyes of God and in the eyes of the enemy, but they become a reproach to themselves. Marath means bitterness. Bitterness. Because of their sin, because of their transgression, because of the rebellion against God, because of the loss of the blessing of God, they're falling into a state of bitterness. Lakish means invincible. So when you tie them together in these two verses, bitterness building up because of the strength and oppression of the enemy. Uh, if, if we do not allow the spirit of Christ to rest upon us and allow ourselves to experience a spirit of revival and glorifying and honoring our God, we become a reproach to ourselves. And there's nothing to rejoice in. There's only bitterness that literally comes to a point where we can't seem to get over it. We as a nation right now can't get over bitterness. We as a nation, no matter what goes on, it's just is being driven through bitterness. And the answer is we got to turn to Jesus Christ. We got to turn to the Prince of Peace, and then we can get rid of the bitterness. We're a reproach to ourselves. And then the reproach removed. How is that reproach removed in verse 14 and 15? It's removed by the air. Notice in verse 14, it says, Therefore shalt thou give presents to Morasheth Gath, the house of uh, Achzib, uh, shall be a lie to the kings of Israel. Yet will I bring an heir unto thee, O inhabitants of Marasheth. Uh, he shall come unto Adullam, the glory of Israel. And so here is a promise that God would bring an heir that would remove their reproach. Uh, Axib, which is uh, in verse 14, Axib means uh, deceit. Then uh, Marisha means crest of the hill. And then Adullam, uh, in verse 15, means justice of the people. And so through the air that will be coming to Israel, Micah is telling them, the deceit will be removed and you'll be once again out of the valley and on the crest of the hill. Why? Because of the justice of the people of God. And so uh, he's speaking prophetically about Jesus Christ coming. We, he is the heir of all things. We are joint heirs with Christ. And so we can overcome these reproaches that we experience in the world as we surrender our life to Christ and Christ alone. Then in verse 16, we see the reproach brought only mourning at the present. In verse 16, it says, Make thee bald. 
and uphold thee for thy delicate children. Enlarge thy boldness as the eagle, for they are gone into captivity from thee. He's saying in the situation you're in right now, you've violated the commands of God. You've ignored the statutes of God. You've become a reproach to the enemy. You're a reproach to your God. You're a reproach to yourself. Uh, you have only one outcome from this. In the present, all you have is mourning. Uh, it's not a very exciting chapter. Because I tell you, he's late being dead honest and straight on with them. This is what the problem is. And he'll be giving them the answer. That's why you can see as we in our directory notes, we said it's known as a, bo a book of condemnation. And boy, you see that in chapter one. But hallelujah, as you get to the end of the book, you see the reconciliation take place. And so he's going to give them the answer to his problem. It's just one thing to reveal the problem. It's quite another to reveal the problem and then give a solution to it. And I, I'm excited about Micah. I wanted to do Micah. I was rereading through the book uh, the other day, and, and I just thought there's so many things that pattern what is going on in the world that we live in. So we need to find answers to how do we deal with those issues and I really believe chapter 1 impresses upon us that we must go after God and experience a revival that comes from God and God alone. That's the only thing that's going to save us as a people and as a nation. Uh, we've got to turn our people, our nation, back to God. And so I hope it'll be a good study for you. You can look at some of the Bible verses that we didn't look up and do a study uh, on your own. Well, we need